Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, this is Heart of the Matter, where we are learning together how to live in an age of fulfillment. The new introduction for 2020. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Tonight is the first show of the year, airing Monday night, January 6, 2020. Tomorrow night, we'll have our follow-up uh, program where we, we'll take your calls and comments. And if you have comments about tonight's show, please write them below. Your insights help uh, open up whole new avenues and help us understand things and maybe include things uh, that I haven't considered. So please make your comments uh, known below. Last Monday night, when we were still in 2019, we aired a show. It was, uh, uh, it was called putting on the whole armor of God, but the show was all about Satan, hell, the second death, lake of fire, if you were being fulfilled over. If you have trouble believing this uh, at all, it's something I am sure the Bible teaches. Uh, watch that program on our YouTube channel, Heart of the Matter with Sean McCraney. Tonight, I want to set the stage for our general approach to the shows we're going to have in 2020. So I'm just kind of setting the groundwork tonight, and then next week we're going to get into these shows about how to live in an age of fulfillment as a Christian. What's next, really, we could call it. We believe or we think this, now what is what we're saying. So you all know that I believe that the Bible narrative has been completely fulfilled, that it is a book that tells us how God reconciled the world to himself through his son. And many of my contemporaries, most of them in the Christian world, don't believe that. They think there's all kinds of things in that Bible that still have to happen. They've been waiting for 2,000 years for them to happen. They talk about them still happening. I pointed out last year a number of things that should still be in place if Jesus has not come back and wrapped the whole thing up. There are things that should be going on in the Christian church. These things include the fact that the bride of Christ who Jesus is coming back to take, the way people think, uh, should be without spot, without wrinkle, holy, and without blemish, according to Ephesians chapter 5. It means, from what I can tell, that we should still have apostles all the way from Peter, James, John, Paul, and never a break with those apostles. We should have apostles who are guiding and leading the church so that it would be holy and without blemish and without spot, uh, that the risen Lord has them directing his church. And it means church discipline should still be in place strongly, that those apostles and the elders and the deacons, they should be excommunicating people to keep the church without spot, and that all the descriptions in the New Testament of his bride should be in place. And we have made it clear that if this is the case, then the world has failed to present a reasonable church bride that is without spot. And Jesus, if he comes back to take her, he's going to be essentially taking a, a frumpy a whore. Uh, his bride is supposed to be without spot. He's going to come to take his bride, and she's kind of a frumpy whore, really. And, and so um, there has to be total reform in the world of Christianity for us to even si step up to the plate and try to take a swing at what God expected the bride to be from the New Testament description. However, I am convinced, you know, that everything from that former age has been fulfilled. Jesus has returned to his own as promised. He took his spotless bride, who was made spotless by an abundance of the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, the presence of apostles, 
all sorts of things happening in that age to keep them together and clean and unified, that Satan and hell and the devil and second death have all been defeated, that God has been reconciled to the world, and we now live in an age some two, for 2,000 years, not now, but for 2,000 years, where God is the God of those who are His. That might be you and me. Those who are His in the Spirit, through faith, and freedom and liberty in this subjective faith ought to reign over the lives of people. This imagery is not created from nothing out of my warped brain. It's a model presented in the scripture. There was a first Adam in the Garden of Eden who took the world down. There was a second Adam, Jesus, who saved it, redeemed it, introduced the final fulfilled age where all of us through him have a chance to live in relationship with God directly like they did in the Garden of Eden. Jesus is the second Adam. He's restored restored a spiritual Eden to earth in the lives of those who are his. We are like Adam and Eve before the fall once we've been born again and have Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It's all based on spiritual Uh, things and laws written on our hearts. Those who don't care about God in this world, he blesses them, he gives them life, he loves them, and they do what they want here. They die, and they don't want anything to do with him there either. The economy is free and open. Jesus is taking care of everything in the interim for us, as recorded in that book, so we don't have to. No longer is Satan winning and stealing souls from God and taking them to hell forever and ever. Jesus has had the victory and now all people because of him are free to live how they want. If you want to be a Christian and have God in your life and to walk in the spirit and to have a place with him after this life, you're free to do it. If you don't, you're free to choose that as well. See, when Jesus introduced the restored Garden of Eden to the hearts of those who are his by the Spirit, through God writing his laws literally on the hearts of minds of his children, he literally fulfilled himself in being the Prince of Peace. That in when he enters into somebody, he abides there as the Prince of Peace. There should be comfort and peace in that relationship with him. And so those who are his ought to live in peace with each other. We, we shouldn't be at war with a flesh and blood. We should be at peace with people because he's in us and at peace with him. Christians should not be at war with this world. We shouldn't be at war against this faction, that faction, these people, that people. Jesus had the victory. Christians are in the business of sharing that victory through love and 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 helping uh, that to change hearts. Got all that? All right. That's the new covenant. And that's what God said in thy new covenant, this is what I will do. And it's not found in religiosity and in religious men. Uh, it's found in total and complete subjective liberty that you and I have by our faith, the Holy Spirit moving in, God writing his laws upon your hearts and upon your minds, not fearing Satan, not fearing the second coming, not trying to please your pastor, not being in bondage, all those things. We have freedom. Now listen, freedom and liberty are two different things. We all have freedom. You could take me, tie my hands up, bind me, poke my eyes out and put me in a dark cell. You cannot remove from me the freedom I have to have Christ in my heart. 
I have that. There's nothing you can do to remove that freedom. So we have freedoms innately within our person. So kill my body, do anything you want, but you can't remove the freedom unless I let you. But we are surrounded by elements in this world that strip us of our liberties. There's a difference between freedom and liberty. We all have freedom. It can't be taken from us. I can freely worship Christ in my mind and you can't stop me. If you're a rabid communist with a gun pointed at my head, you can't stop that freedom. But you can truncate my liberty as a Christian. Freedom is internal. Christian liberties are external. We go out and have our liberties in, uh, in our lives. And so I want to talk to you about Christian liberties in this life. Our year is going to be focused on how to take the internal freedoms of being a Christian and live out the liberties in our lives uh, externally. Okay? Take the internal freedom, live out the external liberty. That's what we're going to try to be focused on. The subject is tied directly to eschatology, which people don't want to talk about, but it's true. Because if the eschatology has been fulfilled, then you are at liberty to live your life as you want as a Christian. If it's not, then you have to live as the New Testament describes the way the church should be lived. And we're failing at that. Now, I'm going to explain this by going to the whiteboard really quickly, which Seth and Wendy and Larry are going to get me up to. And, and I'll be with you in one second. Mm. Okay. To the board. Oh, this is me moving fast. <laughs> okay, we have two columns. In the first column, we have Jesus is coming back column. And in the second column, we have Jesus has already returned. This is called futurist or... Uh, there's a number of different names for it, but we're just going to name it the Jesus is coming back column, and we're going to name this column the Jesus is already returned column. Now, over here, I have the natural assumption is that if Jesus is coming back, then there has to be brick and mortar church. Has to be. And there has to be authority, and there has to be elders and deacons because Jesus is coming back to take his bride. This is a natural assumption. It is what the New Testament teaches. We can't get around that. So if he didn't come back, then we're still in this age. Now, who are the big proponents of Jesus is coming back? The major institutions, right? So we have Catholics and we have Mormons and we have um, most uh, Protestants and all their institutions, they love the idea that Jesus is coming back. Calvary chapels, they preach, all of them preach, Jesus is coming back. We are a brick and mortar institution. We're going to be here to help him when he comes back, right? The Mormon church just came and found out that they had $100 billion saved for Jesus' second coming, right? Because that's what the Bible says. He's coming back. He's got to have a church to get. And so these big institutions love this eschatology. All right. What are the results? Result number one of Jesus is coming back in the lives of people. Fear. This is a result. 
Okay, I don't know what camera I'm looking at. Which one do I go to? This one. Okay. A child who is at home and fears that his father is coming back with punishment is living in a constant state of terror for daddy to come home, right? Fear is a manipulation used by others to get other people to conform to their wishes. And so when these religions can hold this idea that Jesus is coming back, people live in fear. I remember one time this, uh, this transformer outside my parents' house blew up. And my brother and sister, my younger brother and sister, ran out to the front porch, huddling, huddling with each other and crying and saying, it's the end of the world, it's the end of the world. You know how those things blow up? They're terrifying. It causes fear. And the scripture is clear that where there is fear, there cannot be love. So it's one of the main products. In the, in the case of institution, fear is used to fill the seats of the church. And if you fill the seats of the church with people who are afraid, you fill the coffers of the church. And so fear is a great motivator for people to attend. And I mean, I remember when I was LDS, they had a thing that if you paid your tithing, you would not be burned at his coming. That's the teaching Joseph Smith brought. If you paid your tithing, you wouldn't be burned at his coming. That's fear, you see? And it gets people to pay money. Fear on how to live, how to, how to see what kind of movies to watch, what to entertain yourself with, fear on everything, and how to receive others who are different than yourselves. You don't want them to come in because they're not part of the bride or the church that Jesus is going to take. Fear is a direct result of bad eschatology. A bad eschatology. And that leads us to its sister. If there is fear, where did I do with the sisters? Holy heck, where do these things disappear to? It's like my socks. Oh, it's right here. Okay. And that is bondage. It's her fear's sister. Bondage. Jesus came to set the captives free. And yet bad eschatology is, uh, uh, produces bondage in people's lives. Does it make any sense that Jesus came to set the captives free and to open up the prison door to those who are bound and false eschatology is in place and has put billions of people for the past 2,000 years in bondage. Bondage to pay, bondage to fear, bondage to attend, bondage to their pastors who tell them you gotta do this, you've gotta do that, bondage to signs of the times. Every time you open the newspaper, there's a tidal wave in Singapore. Oh, it's the end, bondage to fear, right? The whole system's bondage-based. My God and his son by the spirit have instituted a far better way described in the Bible, reasonably and contextually understood. And it removes these things in the lives of Christians that men have put back on your back. So uh, he took care of it all in and through his son. We'll talk about that in another moment. The third result of bad eschatology is judgment. Judgment. You see, bad eschatology teaches us to look around and say, they're going to burn when he comes. I can't wait for him to come because he's going to wipe out all of San Francisco. Whatever it is, it causes us to yearn for people to be left behind. 
so that we will be taken up and saved. They'll be left behind and suffer. And the churches, I mean, Calvary chapels, they talk all about all those people who are left behind. It makes us feel superior to others and long for their comeuppance. It's what I was talking to a friend last night. People love this idea that he's coming back because they want to see people get theirs, especially Christians. That's antithetical to the love we're supposed to have for the sinner and the lost and the, and the meek and the broken. and the, That is just the opposite. And yet it is pervasive in evangelicalism, especially in America. I've heard it come from the street preacher's mouths. When people reject their message, they say things like, you're going to hell, you're going to, he's coming back, you better repent before the end, you know, all that stuff. So bad eschatology kills Christian love, it always has. That's why it is not part of the Christian church. Bad eschatology should be removed so that Christians can live to be free. But you know what else it does, which is really unfortunate? The fourth thing, it destroys drive. What do I mean by that? It destroys human drive. Desires in men and women to accomplish things, to get careers, to advance themselves in, in, this, in this life. Um, this is what religion does because it keeps people dedicated to them and their cause. And it keeps them not interested in anything in the world. When a pastor can have 20 uh, teenagers and young adults say, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to go to college. I'm not going to learn a profession. I don't care. The end's coming anytime. I don't care. He wins because they'll just be around the church washing his floors and, and, and cleaning the windows and everything else. They have no freedom in their life because they're constantly serving because they believe the second coming is right around the corner. It's an all or nothing sort of mentality that says, I'm just going to bide my time and wait for Jesus to come. I don't need to accomplish anything with the life God has given me. He's coming soon. So I'll just listen to my pastor and I'll scrub the toilets for him. And there are people who do that. I don't know how many, but I've met some at Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa. And I'm sure there's some over there. It strips out the drive God gives you to learn and create and accomplish things. Bad eschatology is bad, bad, bad. Okay. And then finally, finally, where'd my magic pen go? The, num the number five result is it causes us to be bad citizens. Now, I am the furthest thing from an ecologist, and I grew up in an age where you threw your, your trash out the window after you were done with it. I really did. And I've had to learn and grow up a little bit by that. But bad eschatology is notoriously responsible for bad behavior towards God's creation. Uh, and Christians, generally speaking, are the worst in justification for, I don't care what the plastics do, oh, ozone and all this. I don't know how much of it's factual or not, but I know that we should be cautious with the resources that we have for the next generation. You see, a bad eschatology of Jesus is coming back says everything's going to be destroyed. And because the whole universe is going to be wrapped up and destroyed, I don't need to take care of it. And Christians are the worst when it comes to that, when it comes to ant treat treatment of animals. And I got to change on that with cats and, and all sorts of things that we just say, who cares? 
You know, we don't care. Sound eschatology in its place and understood by the Spirit fills Christians with a different template. And it's not one of live for yourself, toss your trash out, who cares what it does to the oceans and all that. It, 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 it doesn't remove drive. It doesn't judge. It's not in bondage, no fear. So let's talk about that just for a second before we wrap it up and we'll go to this side of the board. All right. So Jesus has already returned. It is mostly uh, understood by individuals. Because the churches don't really function well with this idea. They can't make money. They can't fill their seats. So they don't embrace it. They want the fear and bondage to take over. Right? So it's mostly in, uh, 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 individuals. There is, uh, who does it? Uh, the, again, individuals. Fear, none. There's no fear. The whole thing's been completed by Jesus for us, in and amongst his own people. Between the ages of Mo, from, the, from the fall to Moses, the law and the prophets, to John the Baptist, to Jesus Christ, to his apostles, to the wrapping up of the age. And we now are benefactors of the freedom that comes from that. We don't have to fear the tidal wave. You don't have to live in fear of the uh, pandemics and the epidemics. Yes, we'll still have them. The world will have them. But it's not tied to Jesus coming back. There is liberty of time, of resources. There is the freedom to live a sacred life that God has given the individual. The freedom to, to volunteer or not. The freedom to give or not the freedom to serve someone who's not within a church or not. All freedom. There is no fear of what God's going to do in this day and age to you. When it comes to bondage, there's complete, and I'm just going to write EM here, e emancipation. There's emancipation. No pastors imposing themselves or their views or their wants on the flock in Jesus' name. And no bondage to every new headline. And no bondage to having to serve the church or, or the churches or to pay. He has already come back. Let the spirit guide. Let people be free. You see, there's emancipation. No fear, no bondage. Faith, trust, love. When it comes to judgment of others, this allows us to trust him and his leading of other people. The Democrats, the Republicans, the liberals, the lost, the found, you name it. We can, instead of judge, love. We can love all people with proper eschatology. You're free to love them. And then, not only will you be able to love all people, you first and foremost are going to love God because you're free of bondage and fear and you are going to be able to love others and you are going to be able to then be free to do what God intended you to do with your life. And this is a big topic because so many Christians are, I just don't know what to be in this world. It's just this world. I mean, I don't even know if I should study. I don't know if I should have a good job. I mean, if Jesus, all that. God created you uniquely, wonderfully. You have something to give. 
to this world. He's not against knowledge. He's not against growth. He wants you to live up to your potential. It doesn't kill drive. Good eschatology brings freedom, right? So don't let that discouragement that comes from bad eschatology slip in. And then finally, it allows you to include more than yourself and the, and the Jesus idea into your uh, Christianity, meaning creation, animals, other humans, the planet, mountains, seas, deserts, all gifts of God that he's created and given to us for us to liberally and freely enjoy, not to destroy, but Christians should be leading the way in being responsible citizens toward the earth. I'm Again, I'm not pr uh, promoting left-wing uh, uh, environmentalism. I'm just saying we should be cautious and careful. We should be recycling. We want to pass something on that's as good to our children, right? And our grandchildren. So I'm not suggesting by any means we worship creation. We worship the creator. But to respect what he has given us, sound eschatology says the world will not end. It says it in the Bible. The Bible never says this world will end. It says ages will end. So if that's the case, let's get rid of the attitude that we should just do what we want, right? So that leaves us with the general topic for this year, how to live your life, how to live, how to go about and live if this eschatology is correct. And that's what we're going to talk about, generally speaking, amidst our interviews and different topics that will pop up over the course of this year. We're going to talk about the subjects on what to do now. If Jesus has come back, if it's all fulfilled, if we are choosing to be sons and daughters of God, how do we do it? Write your comments below. Want to hear everything you have to say. Give your thoughts, your conclusions, your criticisms. And we'll see you tomorrow night here on Heart of the Matter.